millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Little Atoms on Resonance 104.4 FM with Padre Greedy and myself, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is an enlightenment-friendly chat show about science, rationalism, humanism and the left. And it's that last subject we'll be turning to tonight with our guest making a very welcome return to Little Atoms, the journalist Nick Cohen. Padre. Uh, Nick Cohen is a columnist for The Observer and The New Statesman and The Evening Standard and, as Neil said, is the author of What's Left. So, for anyone who hasn't seen a newspaper or blog or television programme in the past few weeks, tell us quickly what the book's about. Uh, to sum it up, it's about why, if heaven forfend, a bomb was, Isthmus bomb was going off in London tonight, killing hundreds of people, you could guarantee that uh, liberal and left-wing commentators will be all over the media uh, blaming Tony Blair or British foreign policy and averting their eyes from an ideology that's psychopathic, totalitarian, misogynist, homophobic and racist. Why, in other words, are people who consider themselves liberals, consider, consider themselves leftists, going along with the movements and ideas of the ultra-right, of uh, fascistic right, of ideas that are against everything they represent, people who will scream their heads off at their workplace if there's a smallest sexist or racist remark, why are they going along with movements which are ultra-misogynist, ultra-racist? Now, a lot of the um, commentary recently has looked at from the liberal anti-war left has seemed to presented as specifically an apology for the Iraq war. Is that true? Does that hold up? No, well, no. <laughs> I mean, look, 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 the liberal intelligentsia in London, uh, uh, the better outside London, liberal intelligentsia in London are very unused to being criticised on their on principle grounds. Mm -hmm. They're used to being wrong. They're wrong about quite a lot of things, but they <laughs> want to feel good when they're wrong. Mm. They're not used to having their principles criticised, and so they lash out in the most unscrupulous fashion. Um, there are, if you, you've got a copy there, there are two chapters on the Second Iraq War, both of which begin with uh, accounts of how the protesters had good points at the time against the war, how many, much of what they said, even though they didn't know about Iraq, turned out to be absolutely spot on and absolutely true. But then there's a but. And the but is the reason for this book, is why is it that they can't support um, people in Iraq who had 35 years of the most revolting regime, a regime that stepped out of liberal nightmare uh, and committed every crime a liberal should be against, up to including genocide. Why can't they support people who want something better when, the, when, when, when those same people are being blown apart by Al-Qaeda and the Ba'ath Party, which once again represents everything they, they're meant to be against. So, and, and they, you know, they, they sound very principled when they talk, but you know, equally they can seem like very comfortable white people who don't want to make a, a commitment, and it's driven them into a state of fury. I mean, some of the comments I've had, had in my book, it's, it's like either they haven't read it, or I know in some cases they have read it, but they find it politic for social and cultural reasons to write as if they haven't. But do you, do you think they see themselves reflected in the book and, and clearly yeah. don't like it? Yeah, you see, if I'd just done a book about the far left, about how it's flipping over to the far right, the Islamist far right, they'd probably be all right with that. Um, but then there's not much, although it's always worth examining the far left, because a lot of ideas from the far left go mainstream, it would be in a sort of like a Louis, you know, Louis Farouk, mm -hmm. the guy with the glasses, who, you know, goes around cults and things like that. It would have been like that. The point of the book is how ideas that begin in very obscure corners, as all ideas do, 
All ideas have to begin somewhere. Everything you and I take for granted, for good and ill, once began with small groups of people. Uh, how ideas begin in the wreckage of the far left once socialism is gone, and in postmodernism, the postmodern academy, very, very morally dubious ideas um, have saturated the liberal mainstream. So that's, 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 I think that's their real reason <coughs> for objecting. And they're all holding their hands up and saying, no, no, we're nice, sane, reasonable, educated people. And they're not accepting they've got one big thing very badly wrong that they that allowed themselves to be unable to confront movements and regimes of the far right. But ironically, this is another criticism that's been made, that you, you are perhaps dealing with the, um, the, the traits of extremely small groups that we do. I mean, we get accused of it ourselves, and certainly Harry's Place, for instance, often gets accused of, of, yeah. of being obsessed with yeah. the Socialist Workers' Party when no, nobody really cares. But, I mean, as, as you've just said, first of all, First of all, they, you know they do shed a light on the on on the trends of the of the, of the sort of wider left, but also it is also quite good fun as well to attack this group. So perhaps you could let's let's dive into one, and perhaps you could tell tell our listeners a little bit about the um, the story of Jerry Healy and the Workers' Revolutionary Party. Yeah, well, it, 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 well, first of all, you say it's good fun to do this. It's always done. BBC Four did a series called Left Lefties, indeed, mm -hmm. and it was disgraceful. It was absolutely disgraceful. They started off with the Leninists of the 70s in the street in Brixton and said as a joke, Ole are members of the Workers' Revolutionary Party and the International Marxist Group. At no point does the BBC say the International Marxist Group ever came to power, the, bubble, the gutters were the bubbles of blood, and the Workers' Revolutionary Party was led by Jerry Healy, um, who you mentioned, um, who was a rapist, uh, a sociopath, and... Uh, in the pay of Saddam Hussein and spied on Iraqi exiles in Britain because they're nice middle class people doing the same sort of nice middle class people who, who work for the BBC. You could never imagine the BBC doing a programme about, hey, wasn't it great when, when these guys were in the National Front in 1974. Um, I do it because you know, this is a good story, but also because the argument of this book is that liberal and left-wing people are going along and making excuses for Islamist movements of the far right. And isn't this novel? I mean, some conservative critics don't quite get that. Conservative critics, I've had good reviews from conservative critics, I'm not complaining. You know, if you want the highly dubious pleasure of having <laughs> a writer as your loyal friend for life and following you around like a dog, just give, give him or her a good review. We'll love you forever and uh, haunt you for your dying days. You say, oh no, please go away. Um, but uh, they don't quite get it. They think, they say, well look, in the, in the 20th century, left-wing people supported communism and far, far more turned a blind eye to communism, what's new? You have to come from the left to realise, I understand why people did this, I come from a very left-wing family, I understand it, not right, but I understand it, because it's all still the left. Now, people are going along with uh, the ultra-right, and so I looked back in history for other times when it's happened, nothing like on this scale, and the 70s, Healy and his uh, corrupt relationship with Saddam was one of them. You see, you see, one of the problems of writing a book about current affairs is, is people expect a political pamphlet with all things neatly laid out. This is a book. It's not a political program. You, you ought to be able to read it like you read a novel. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at the psychology of betrayal, the psychology of how do people who are left-wing, who throw fascists around as an insult to everyone from their dad telling them to get a haircut, to a policeman telling them to move, move along to demo, when confronted with actual fascists, how they um, justify themselves, how they, they go over to their side. 
Now, in, in, in some ways, the Leninist sects of the 70s are, it's pretty easy. They, 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 I call them Leninists, that's what they are, but they followed Leon Trotsky. Now, Trotsky has had a huge problem in the 20th century in that they couldn't commit to democracy because they wanted to overthrow it, establish their own, their own totalitarian state. But they couldn't go along with communism either because nearly all, all the communist regimes, and even the Euro-communists then, owed something to Stalin, who was Trotsky's enemy and killer in the end. So they're left with, they're in a position like the 21st century left after communism, communism has gone. All they can do is they turn to uh, radical right movements like Saddam Hussein's Iraq. So that's, they're interesting as a precursor of Galloway and all of that. I then go back to the 30s, and that's far more psychologically interesting what happens in the 30s when um, war comes, height of the Blitz here in London. And an awful lot of left-wing people think, Jesus Christ, we've got a choice. We have to support. We either have to support Britain or we have to support Hitler. And a minority, but not just the communists who were in bed with Hitler anyway because of Hitler, Stalin, Pack, and the pacifists who had to pretend Hitler wasn't so bad, but lots of fellow travellers, celebrities, vicars, um, actors, the type of people you get all over the independents, were, were, you know, were in effect campaigning against the British government and ignoring Hitler completely, organising strikes, saying that the real enemy is Churchill and the Labour Party in Whitehall, not Hitler. And the psychology of that is, is very, very interesting and extremely contemporary. You know, you get people like Virginia Woolf saying, well, Hitler's bad because he's a fascist. But look, the Church of England won't give women priests, won't allow women priests. That's fascist too. She can't see the difference. And of course, if you call everyone a fascist, if you say... Uh, if you say, well, Al-Qaeda's bad, but George Bush, his fundamentalism is just as bad, you can't fight the real thing. Sure, you throw it all around. Now, that's, it, that, that's very modern. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I do go back into the past um, uh, to look at how this happens. There's another example of a lot of people, including to their terrible mistake, the Iranian socialists, who when the Ayatollah Khomeini takes power, you know, they say, well, any revolution is better than none. We'll go along with this. And of course, the first thing Khomeini does, as any Islamist movement does, is destroy the socialist movement, kill them, torture them, throw them into prison. So, you know, how left-wing people do that helps explain, I think, the moral crisis of today. So, I mean, you, you mentioned Khomeini, Khomeini doing that, and there's at the moment there's this phenomenon of um, within the um, Stop the War Coalition, there's a, a, a formal alliance between the Socialist Workers' Party and, and the Muslim Brotherhood. And Jamaati Islami as well. I mean, mm. Jamaati Islami is actually the main... It's, it's basically the South Asia version of the Brotherhood. But that's Bangladesh, and, and most of the votes come from Bengalis in... in, uh, in, in, in most of Muslim votes for respect come from Bengalis. Yeah. Later in the programme, I want to talk... For, I want to get into the ideas of why the um, sort of middle-class Marxist intellectuals have basically abandoned the, the working classes. But... If we can talk about this joke without mentioning that now, what do you think the Socialist Workers' Party have got to gain from this alliance? Because as you've said, you know, clearly, if, if, if these guys got, into sh got in charge, they would, they would be the first up against the wall. Uh, one of the big things this book deals with, the big facts, which has taken me a long time to accept, is that socialism, which defines what it means to be left-wing, democratic or totalitarian, for 100 years, at least 100 years, from 1880s to the 1980s, possibly even going back to the 1860s really. That's just gone. That's dead. Uh, it may come back again in some different form. Uh, I hope it does in some ways. 
but at the moment there is no party anywhere in any developed country that is proposing even modestly to nationalise the banks for instance yeah. uh, or to um, um, uh, you know, take over industry or and have workers control it's just gone now what happens to people and it's not just a few deracinated um, uh, 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 and, um, and confused people in the SWP it's quite a lot of people in the academy uh, outside want something else because a world without an alternative is, is a disenchanted place and people like the law, the seduction of violence, the seduction of unreason, the idea that, well, there are other forces out there, and if you don't behave, Tony Blair, if you don't behave and do what we say, they'll, they'll attack you. But where are they going to turn to it? All they've got left, really, are, are the movements of the extreme right. I mean, Martin uh, Kettle, The Guardian, wrote a very uh, complimentary piece about my book and said something far better than I said. He, he said that it's very unclear if the left has survived the 20th century but the far right most certainly has. And so if you're someone who has the parochialism of mind to just hate your own system, and God knows it's enough to hate this, I'm not saying you shouldn't criticise, but if you've got that parochialism and you want an alternative, where else are you going to turn to but to Islamism? You know, you know actually, a version of Islamism can sound very, very like what the Trots want. I mean, they hate Americans. Well, we do too. Uh, they hate globalisation. Oh, yeah, we're dead against that. And actually, you know, you know what? You know what? They're going out there and they're killing Americans. Now, nowhere in the world are there Marxist revolutionaries who are willing to fight and kill and die for Marxism. But there are these people who, if you look at it in a certain light, you can see, well, they're prepared to do it. And all you have to forget about is their misogyny, their hom homophobia, uh, their intolerance of free thought. Well, that wouldn't bother Marxists. Uh, and their belief that all the human race needs to know is from some 7th century holy book. So you can see why they have to do this. Beyond, the, beyond, beyond the provocation. Which and I the hatred of Marxism as well. Of course, of course it hates Marxism. Yeah, yeah, well, they always kill them. I mean, Fred Halliday wrote a very good piece for Open Democracy. You say, look, what do the movements do? It's not just Khomeini kills the left. You know, Hamas does. You know, where's the Saudi Arabian left? You know, where's the... You know, the Taliban was dedicated to overthrowing a communist government. It was actually quite a good government. Um... Uh, you know, <laughs> what do you think you're doing in line with people? But they are so, they are such lost souls. And all they've got left is their hatred now. They haven't got a political program at all. Um, but I then go on to say, because I'm constantly I'm trying to move out from the fringe to the mainstream, is the absence of a political program is hugely important. And uh, in a way, no one noticed when socialism died, a great benefit to people who call themselves left wing because you don't have to stand for anything beyond a dislike of what your own country does and what America does. And God knows, you know, Britain and America will do stupid and unjust things at times. And in any case, in a lopsided world where America is the only superpower, there's an instinctive anti-Americanism because the world just feels out of joint. And so, but not having a program... Look at Chomsky. Chomsky doesn't actually believe in anything. You know, it would be impossible for a young politician to say... I want to take power and impose a Chomskyan program. There is no such thing. And that makes it very easy for the consumer society. All you have to do is be against Bush and Blair. You don't have to commit to them. You most certainly, and this is the most shameful side of what's happening, 
you don't have to commit to people in the poor world who share your values because they're not they're not committing to people in yeah. Iraq who call themselves socialists or Iran who call themselves feminists so that's in one sense people can be very angry but in another sense they can just be fat white westerners you know not not wanting to uh, n n not not wanting to help other people and th that is that is a huge advantage see if I was on this show 40 years ago and I was a socialist I might be saying things that you and Neil would be agreeing with and then I'll have to say because I'm a socialist but also you know I want to nationalize everything impose penal rates of taxation you might think well I'm, we don't want this you know and so, but now I don't now they don't yeah and that, 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 that it's that sort of leftism without a practical left is is very very useful as a brand as of a way of, mm. of getting people to, to support to support them but there's this the, I mean you, you you quote John Lloyd here writing writing about this and saying that, um, these people are, are idealists and um, because they don't have a political program it's easier because you can't you know like the green movement or whatever they're all, they're, you know, they're, they're the no, to be fair to the greens greens um, stand for election they're a green party Sorry, across that's Europe. That's they put a program. Course. They put a program for it. And that's more about the the anti-globalisation movement. But, but yeah, it's more. I'm more interested in the consumerism of all of this. You know, the typical, I don't know, BBC producer um, writer on papers I write for is almost like a cust an angry customer going into a shop and saying, and not thinking for a moment. I'm, I'm a consumer. I don't have to think about the hard day the shop girls had. Don't give you you give me my sob stories. And, and if she says, and 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 not expecting to be asked, well, you say this goods faulty. How would you repair it? Yeah, no consumer <laughs> would expect that. And uh, and not thinking he he or she owes any loyalty to anyone. Thinking you know I can switch from Apple to Microsoft like that. Why should I owe any loyalty to anyone? Mm. It's very consumerist what's going on. As he's put in the book, socialists without comrades. Yeah, yeah, left is now yeah. left. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, it, serious politics, from whatever point of view, is hard. And principle politics means you've got to, you know, slog, slog round meetings. You've got to work out a program and then get the public or a majority of the public to accept it. See, they don't have to do any of that. Mm -hmm. And so I always remember. I mean, they're terribly nice people, but the richest friends of mine invited me and my wife to stay in their villa on the Riviera. I'm not knocking it, you know, at all. But, um, and these people are filthy rich and they had John Pilger and Noam Chomsky on their bookshelves. And I thought, of course you do. Of course you do. They're no threat to you. Of course you do. Well, how are they a threat to you? You can just have a little, little, little uh, thrill of uh, radical chic and uh, a little thrill of anti-Americanism. And that's fine, you know. Um, getting back to the point you made, in, in Martin Kettle's um, comment in your book about um, socialism died at the end of the 20th century, but the far right lives on. Do you think there's a failure of people to recognise that the far right does live on? I mean, do, do people enter into this lazy equivocation between well, George well Bush and Saddam Hussein or the Ayatollah Khamenei? Do they uh -huh. so? Consciously, do they really think that, that fascism lives? Well, um, uh, look, uh, Western far right movements, BNP, yeah. National mm -hmm. Front, uh, Front National in France, people oppose, and rightly so, in a yeah. way that manner will be recognisable to the 21st century left. We then come to the sort of next big thing in the book, which is called multiculturalism in Britain. Actually, all societies are multicultural, there's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with multiculturalism. It's an extreme form of multiculturalism, identity politics. 
um, which I discussed, and God help me, it was a pain to read. But I went through the postmodern philosophers. I mean, one good reason to buy this book, if any of your listeners haven't bought it, is I've done your reading for you. <laughs> I've actually read Foucault and Derrida and Judith Butler and tried to translate them into English. Um, and, you know, you've only got one life. There is no God. It's a rationalist program, we can say that. You don't have to read some of the worst prose ever written. Um, but, you know, you get the idea coming out there. And that, again, is to do with their desperation after the death of socialism. They start turning around the world, and they, the postmodern idea is you can't unequivocally criticise other cultures. Uh, it's wrong on all kinds of levels. It's wrong on the idea that other cultures are uh, sealed boxes without their own struggles in and that they don't change but it's also that um, uh, it's wrong in the sense of it makes a nonsense of your principles if you're confronted with the usually unelected leader of uh, some community or religious group saying I'm sorry my culture demands the uh, subordination of women and homosexuals um, western liberals are tripped up by the thought that it's racist to oppose sexists that it's racist to oppose, ho oppose homophobes but then, of course, they get themselves get into a kind of racism that the emancipation of women is okay for white-skinned women in London, but not for brown-skinned women in Kabul. Or, to make it a bit closer to home, it's okay for white-skinned women in Richmond, but not for brown-skinned women in Bethnal Green and Bow. And this is, this is having a massively debilitating effect um, and is allowing extreme groups to flourish. But that is, that is a very big factor in, in, in the inability to... One thing I want to do is to politicise ethnic politics. We, you know, people ought to be able to say um, um, the Muslim Brotherhood is a far-right wing organisation. Yeah. Which it is. You know, you only have to look at the Hamas Charter, large chunks of it been, could have been written by Adolf Hitler. Yeah. But people are very reluctant to say that. I get people yeah, quitting at meetings as soon as I start saying that. But then, but then you end up in the, in the absurd position of like Channel 4 will go out and find the, the most far-right Muslim group, uh, group, put them on as a spokesman for the Muslims. Yeah. But they would never put on Nick Griffin of the BNP as a spokesman for the whites. And if they did, all hell would break loose. You know, they, they can't extend politics. So a lot of far-right politics um, is, uh, is concealed by the inability of reluctance and a kind of um, wishy-washy, mimsy... Uh, political correctness to 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 use words plainly, and again, of course, what happens then? Because actually, there is no such thing as the Muslims. No. You know, th this is a civil war going on within Islam, uh, and again, liberals take the wrong side. They, they or they can't even even they're not taking the wrong side. They can't offer support to those who share their ideals. Should we um, <coughs> take the opportunity to pause for a for a song right now? Um, this is um, Spears and Bowden, and it's um, Prickle-Eyed Bush. That pricks my heart for song. Ever I get out of this prickle-eyed bush, and I never will get in it any. And stay your hand Stay it for a while For I think I see my sister Coming over yonder style For 
sister, happy prodigal. Silver to set me free. Or to save my body from the cold, cold ground and my neck from the gallows tree. Oh no, I have no broken gold. Silver to set you free. For to save your body from the cold, cold ground and your neck from the gallows tree. Rips my heart full sore Oh, and if ever I get out of this prickle I bush Then I never will get in it anymore Hangman, stay your hand Stay it for a Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. That was Spears and Bowden, a prickle-eyed bush. You're listening to Little Atoms on Resonance 104.4 FM. Um, I'm Neil Denny. I'm here with Padraig Reedy, and we're talking to Nick Cohen about his book, What's Left. So, welcome back. Um, Nick, we talked a good bit in the first half about um, how the left in this country has abandoned its, um, or even the notion of having comrades in other countries. There's quite a bit in your, um, in your book about the disappointment of the liberal left in this country with what should be its own constituency, the working class? Yeah, um, uh, it's something I, I, I work very hard to try and pin down mm. um, because I'm talking about liberal intelligentsia, yeah. my type of people. Um, there is a, a, a disillusion with democracy among them. You know, you, uh, as every dinner party, you hear every half baked political theorist is saying all the parties are the same, democracy is pointless, it's all the jam, all the charade. And I, I, this matters in a way to the attitudes towards foreign totalitarianism. You know, if you don't, if you are disillusioned with democracy at home, you're not going to support Democrats abroad. And that has a lot to do with um, uh, liberal middle class attitudes towards the working class. Now, remember, it wasn't just Marxists who thought that the working class was, was the class of the future, to use the language of the early 20th century. You know, Fabian socialists, social democrats, all thought the working class was going to bring them their ideas to power. And liberal intellectuals themselves, even if they weren't <coughs> part of social democratic or socialist movements, like to pretend that they're speaking for the people, uh, the oppressed, the poor, the outsiders, the marginal. And often they do. Um, and that relationship with the the working class has just uh, uh, broken down um it's uh it's almost as if the working class is being 
punished. I quote a wonderful uh, chap who wrote a book on the white working class. Ah, wonderful book. Oh, you are excellent. Um, anyway, Michael came, came up with, with, with his wonderful line of of the, um, the, 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 the multicultural society needed its common enemy. And it turned out to be the, the class which had been the focus of utopian fantasy for previous generations of, of, of middle-class leftists. And Julie Birchall says the white working class is the, is the, only, uh, is the only group it is the politically correct are allowed to disparage. And that sounds uh, extreme. And I read, I read her writing that. Then you, you, you just look around. It's partly because, uh, for good reasons, for very good reasons, and they've done a lot of good, um, women's movement, gay movement, anti-racist campaigns have transferred the focus of lost policies and they've won all their legal battles. Uh, and, but then out of that came the view that the, 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 the most sexist, the most racist, the most um, uh, homophobic person was a white working class man. Now, uh, previously, only 40 years previously, the, the white working class man was, you know, muscular, shirt sleeves rolled up, going onwards to the social, socialist paradise in, in utopian thought. Now he's the embodiment of, um, of everything that's wrong and rotten. Now, I don't want to knock Will Self at all, because he's a very fine novelist, but I, I did notice in his latest novel, it's about how a, a sort of terrible taxi driver keeps this dreadful diary filled of hatred of women and then there's a catastrophe and then a sort of peasant society builds on the ruins and they find this diary and that's their guide and they, and they then build a terrible misogynist society now it's just interesting that he chooses that I mean whereas 40 years ago if you wanted to present uh, uh, the, ulti the ultimate villain would have been upper class the, yeah. you know, the plutocrat with the big hat the big cigar you know, um, like in J.B. Priestley's plays, you know, uh, having it away with a factory girl and leaving her pregnant. You know, it was all, uh, it was, and, and the ordinary people were either put upon all the forces for good. Now it's the ordinary people who exemplify, uh, ex exemplify the, the worst. And, um, uh, of course, this, this has given a huge opportunity to backlash conservative policies. We haven't really noticed this in Britain because... New Labour has been so good at <laughs> providing its own backlash <laughs> against the left. But in George Bush's America, I, I mean, I'm immensely impressed by an American writer, left-wing writer called Thomas Frank, who's an absolutely mm -hmm. great writer. Now, Tom has never achieved the global status of his contemporaries, Chomsky, Moore, people like that, because he's a proper intellectual who asks hard questions. And Tom, Tom comes from Kansas, uh, and Kansas was once the most radical state in the Union. Yeah, it was so against slavery, it didn't wait for the rest of the country, it started the Civil War all by itself. It, uh, in the 1890s and through to the 30s, it was a centre of populism, and populism then was anti-capitalist, against the railroad bosses, the bankers out on the East Coast, grinding small farmers into the ground. And Tom says, well, there's a populist movement there now, but it's against the liberal elites on the coast. And it's so strong, and it's genuine working class militants uh, organising, it's so strong that George W. Bush didn't even need to cam campaign in Kansas. Now, that just sounds like the normal standard uh, middle class intellectual just say, oh, the masses are stupid, they're fooled by the media, Ross Limbaugh and all of that. But Tom uh, doesn't really, or doesn't just go along with that. And that's why he's not nowhere near as popular, but he's a far better writer, is he says a lot of what the way the liberal middle class 
operates now is anti-democratic. And his classic example of is Roe v. Wade, you know, the banning of abortion in America. It's done by the Supreme Court. Now, if the battle had been fought in state legislatures in the Senate, women's rights would have won. They've won everywhere else in the world. They would have won. But instead of going in for the long haul, instead of trusting democracy, um, uh, you know, it, it's handed down from above. And however you vote, you can't stop it. And Tom says this cements a picture of the liberal elite that's very, very suspicious of democracy, very, very suspicious of its fellow citizens. And, you, you know, you can see that in Europe, too. You know, there are far too many laws now restricting freedom of speech. There's far too much willingness to reach for the lawyers and say we want unelected judges to, in effect, make up the laws they go along rather than Parliament. And that, to me, shows uh, uh, a fear of and a lack of confidence in the open arguments and free elections of liberal democracy. Shows they're frightened of it. And it, it also shows, shows to me that liberal intelligentsia, which, whose ideas dominated the 20th century, have this fantasy of going back to 1907, explaining to some Islamic intellectuals of the day, you know, what the future will look like. And you know, everything, apart from some form of collective ownership, on their wish list, we've got. And things they haven't even thought about, we've got. Um, but... I don't feel that there's a lot of changes in society. I don't feel the liberal intelligence. I think it's, I think it's v subliminally very nervous, very unsure of its status. You know, nowadays, governments, instead of... You know, in the 1940s, if you, if you were running the Departments of Health or Social Security, it wouldn't be called Social Security in those days, you would talk to intellectuals from the LSE. Now governments are turning to businesses to provide ideas of how to manage society. And the status of the liberal intellectual is becoming, uh, becoming far more marginal. And that, again, makes them uneasy, because their status is going uneasy about democracy. It's, uh, you know, I didn't feel I could write this book without at least having a stab at all of that, without at least talking about class, because, you know, funny way, you can go to endless debates on the left and no, no one ever bloody does. You know, I mean, and, but you think to be left-wing is to be in some sense engaged in some, in some form of class politics. Well, it's, um, we, you've obviously mentioned the, 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 the gains that have been yeah. got by the left, you know, the, 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 the fight against racism, against sexism, homophobia, etc. And it's, so it's ironic that, you know, the one, the one thing since the, the left have, have seemingly abandoned the working class... Um, the one prejudice that's acceptable is 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 to have a go at the chav, at the, at, at the working class yeah, yeah. man, and um, and I want to clear as well. The left seems to have basically abandoned the white working class almost to the BNP. I mean, they've almost handed them to the well, BNP yeah. on the plate. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I think people again, it's a kind of snobbery you talk about. But BNP gets lots of support from middle class. Mm. Voters um, um, and ballet dancers and ballet dancers, yes. <laughs> uh, they're two suits of flattering rightwards. Um, uh, but see, you're never going to win. This is why they hate Labour government. You know, this, this is why I talk about leftists without a left. You're never going to win power to get a political program you mm. agree on in unless you can carry working class, lower middle class people with you. Yeah, of course you're not. But then you see, you come back to my original point is. What is their political program? What do they want? They don't want to do that. They're just, um, you know, they want this kind of, of purity and not making commitments. Which again, as I say, is very consumerist. Mm. 
So, um, well, let's just carry on talking about about the BNP then, because I, I sort of said that the, 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 they've been abandoned the BNP quite sort of facetiously, really, because that there's an idea, there's an idea on the left as well that you know, you see, the one class. The Labour Party hasn't abandoned the BNP. No. The trade unions on. No. Absolutely. I'm talking about the liberal intelligentsia. I mean, actually, you still get a lot of very good <laughs> people in the Labour Party fighting very good, fighting very good campaigns and in the trade union movement. Well, I was just going to say that there is this idea that you know, if you the the, the the white working class are almost you know, you may as well not bother touching them because they will instinctively go and vote for somebody like the BNP, which clearly hasn't really happened on the scale that people think it has. So, where do you think that sort of you know this this idea comes from? Is that is that just? I think there's a danger in a danger in multiculturalism. I'm not against multiculturalism. I'm not, I, you know, for God's God sake, I believe in treating everyone in this country equally, regardless of colour, creed, or uh, ethnicity. Of course I am. The danger of multiculturalism, when you push it into the extreme form, um, when you have parties like Respect, which are just a vehicle for Muslim rightist grievance, when you have um, Sikhs being able to close a play in Birmingham without one minister uttering a squeak of protest. Mm -hmm. The danger is, is that people will start working class people start thinking of themselves as the whites, you know, and start competing for resources. I mean, I I, I know I know um, uh, Dagenhamers where um, uh, uh, BNP has some success at the last local elections. Well, I've had uh, officials in Dagenham who deal with grants and aid say, look, it's just ridiculous what's happened. According to our rules. 80% you know, of our, sometimes it's looking at different budgets, but up to 80% of our money can be going to black groups, Muslim groups, blah, blah, blah. This is 75% white working class. They're not getting nothing. Well, you know, sooner or later, racist politicians will come to well, let's organise you as the whites. Yeah. That's a huge danger of abandoning universal service, universal standards and saying different rules apply to different cultures as if they're all set in aspect. Is that, is that will happen? Um, because, well, you know, why not? If there's a black cancer group, cancer's cancer, you know, why not have a white cancer group, you know, um, it's, that's the logic of multiculturalism is a kind of far-right white politics. Okay, well, there's, um, there's a chapter in, in the book where you, where you discuss um, the, the, the impact of the sort of conspiracy theory mindset on, on, on various groups, and, um, we would have thought a couple of years ago, a few years ago, we would have thought that the conspiracy mindset was something was like a right wing thing, a right wing American thing. Typically, uh, they were against this idea of you know they, they, they thought the UN was flying over in black helicopters to oh, take yeah. over and and um, but it seems like large parts of the left have taken up this conspiracy theory idea as well now and um, and I wonder if this is another um, another symptom of you know the. the the death of socialism, basically, that they're, they're basically grasping for anything to be, yeah, they're, they're almost the sort of, you know, when yeah. you stop believing in God, you believe in anything type. Well, uh, it is, although I do say, when I'm giving old Noam Chomsky a bit of a kicking, that, um, you see, Marxism quickly develops into conspiracy theory. The, the, the first generation of Marxists after Marx's death are faced with the rather awkward problem that the working class have not risen up, as he predicted. And so they develop the uh, false consciousness mm -hmm. conspiracy theory. They say, aha, it's not that Marx was wrong. Heaven forfend, dear me, couldn't be. He's already being treated as a sacred figure. 
it's that the, the, the media society is brainwashing, a conspiracy of media owners is brainwashing the workers so they can't see their real interests. Now that sounds harmless enough as conspiracy theory, but that le has led to some of the most terrible crimes of the 20th century because the Bolsheviks can justify seizing power in the Russian Revolution by saying, well, actually, the workers don't know their own interests. We do, because we're intellectuals, so we, we, we're not brainwashed. We're, mm. we're far too clever for the sun, you know, uh, and, uh, and seize power. And that, that view of the hegemonic to start slipping into Gramsci and postmodern uh, uh, jargon, brainwashing people against their interests, runs right the way through um, from Engels, through Lenin, uh, through the postmodernists, into Chomsky, and it's all a conspiracy theory. Um, and you see it in every day, you know. Uh, every day you hear people saying, you know, it was a somewhat won the 1992 election or whatever, it wasn't at all. Um, but, it, you know, this idea that the intellectual, that, that there was a conspiracy brainwashing the masses, and the intellectuals, normally French intellectuals these days, uh, only they are clever enough to see through it, is, is, is very commonplace. Um, I'm just amazed. <laughs> I had this book. I had this book out. And I put my email. Uh, not my email address. I've got a little website to just bang my stuff on. And I, I put my website address on it. You go on there. You go on the email. And um, what's interesting, because people accuse me of going off to the right and all kinds of uh, stuff, is the, I'm having hundreds of emails now. Overwhelmingly, they're from liberal minded, left minded people who realise that something's going very badly wrong. Um, which is very encouraging. I always reply to them. But uh, the real attacks I've had have been from me just looking at Bosnia and saying, well, Bosnian concentration, con the concentration camps of Bosnian Muslims actually existed. And there's a massive network of nutters out there denying, denying the Bosnian concentration camps in the same terms and with the same tactics as neo Nazis deny the, the Nazi concentration camps. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, and, and this is a huge, huge, huge industry. Yeah. And the reason for it is led by the Revolutionary Communist Party in Britain, who are all over the media. And the reason for it is this, is if you think that your own society, Western democracy, is just hopelessly corrupt, it's a sham, it's the playthings of the corporations who are conspiring all the Jews increasingly, the Jews are all the neocons as they like to call them now, and Zionists are controlling corporate American foreign policy. You cannot, cannot admit, admit any good of their society. So when Western forces intervene in Bosnia and Kosovo, that has to be a conspiracy too. And you have to say, well, the media uh, invented those concentration camps to justify an imperialist assault on the Balkans. Mm -hmm. As an aside, I mean, I'm sure you're surprised by the amount of. Um Bosnian conspiracy theories, but at where I worked the other week, we, um, after her aunt Denk was killed, we put up an article about him and the um, Armenian genocide, uh -huh. and almost immediately got this. And it's a similar tactics. I mean, I'm kind of looked and thought, what we have here is a David Irving of the Armenian genocide. So this is the exact same tactic of ridiculous amount of documents yeah. with very selective quoting yeah. all the whole time. But I, I was amazed. I just didn't realise. Well, beyond the Turkish well, well, government, but there was a real movement oh yeah. well, that no, went on. Yeah, but uh, I, I mean, websites. You know, and the, 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 the the screamers I get about uh, Bosnian genocide. All, I, I do a chapter on on denial. I turn it around, Chomsky. And you might say, well, Nick, why are you going off into that? But denial is very important 
because it might not matter what uh, the RCP and all their friends from the BBC and the Times think um, uh, but it does matter people deny because they want to do it again why do European fascists deny the Holocaust because the millions of dead of the Second World War might seem to have given their lives in vain they might seem to have died in, for, because of an insane ideology but they didn't they stopped fascism because after the war every time when Europeans wanted to turn to fascism they were confronted by the image of Auschwitz mm -hmm. the gates at Auschwitz so they could, you know, that put them off so if you want to get fascism back you have to deny similarly with Serb nationalism yeah. extreme Serb nationalism not, 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 not decent similarly with Serb nationalism if you want to ethnically cleanse the Balkans again you have to get people to deny what happened before that makes it a bit easier for you and with the internet, of course, this stuff just gets all over the place. It's extraordinary. You type in the name of the Trongsapol camp. Mm. Sorry? The Trongsapol camp yes. in Prijador yes. in, in, in the northeast Bosnia. You get thousands of hits, all saying it never existed. It was just, or it was just a, a stunt by journalists, you know, to justify an imperial attack on Slobodan and Milosevic. So it does matter. It does matter. And uh, I, I start this book. I start this book with a, with a wonderful quote from a great historian of fascism in the 20th century called uh, Norman Cohn and, he, and he, says, he says it is a great mistake to suppose that the only writers who matter are those whom the educated in their saner moments can take seriously there exists a subterranean world where pathological fantasies disguised as ideas are, are churned out by crooks and half educated fanatics there are times when this underworld emerges from the depths and suddenly fascinates captures and dominates multitudes of usually sane and responsible people well, you know, it, that does happen. And it's, he could know, be describing the internet. Sorry? <laughs> he could be describing yeah, the internet. You need, to, you need to fight this. You need to, you need to take this yeah. on. And you, and you need to not let the, the liberals off the hook. Because a lot of this is imbued by them. You know, the, the totalitarian conspiracy theory of democracy is, is, as I mentioned before, democracy, human rights, women's rights, gay rights, it's all worthless. It's all a sham. Uh, and the real moves and shakers are the corporations, the bourgeoisie, the Jews, you take your pick. Um, depending uh, on your totalitarian movement. Now, actually, if I go to an Islington dinner party, and I were to say that, I would say, oh yeah, right on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know that, that, that's every, those ideas are everywhere. You can't just parcel things up and say, well, that's just the far left, and that's, uh, that's the far right. You know, it's, you, you, need, you, you need to you know, stand up for the best of your country, for, for, for our freedoms, for our democracy, against people who are who are quite prepared to, to damage it, and a lot of very silly people who are just fellow travelling with them. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the, um, the, the sort of the big conspiracy theory that's doing the rounds at the moment is, is this old... Well, there's, the, there's a lot, but they're all to do with basically 9-11 and, and you know, the, the official report into 9-11 and we're not being told the truth and there's various different groups and, and levels of, of, of craziness involved. But this happened, it seemed to happen almost immediately. As soon as, you know, as, almost as soon right, as the, yeah. towers, the towers went down, they, um, they came out. And even, um, for instance, David Shaler, who himself has a show on this station, is, is, is convinced that there were holograms that oh, flew into the buildings yeah. rather oh, than yeah. planes. I, mean, I wonder where, where, where do you think this... Well, the, this ideolo sort of the, the ideological motivation is this. Because they hate America more than anything else, they can't accept as any... Uh, they can't say any, anything in favour of America, such as you suffered te terrible ca casualties on 11th of September 2001. So they have to pretend that's all invention by 
the evil, the evil uh, bush, or what have you. Um, uh, poor old David Shane, dear me. I used to take stories from him. I actually believed him. And now he's going on about um, holograms. And all that. I saw him at a party, and I said, David, you've gone completely mad, haven't you? He said, no, 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 it's, um, it's all true holograms. And I said, do you believe the world's secretly governed by giant lizards? And he said no, but he paused just a second too long before <laughs> saying it. I mean, I don't know, but the the you know the appeal of conspiracy theory mm. is a great appeal. It also appeals to the defeated. Um, if you're in the friends of mine who are, in, are working in Moscow after the fall of the Soviet Union, they said there were conspiracy theories everywhere. Yeah, because yeah. we've been this great power, this superpower, and it's gone. But this is the there case. Must be a conspiracy theory. And you see, in a sense, the left's being defeated. You know, or they think they have. They can't see what they've won, and they can't see the, the, their honourable struggles for them to engage in. And so, trying to explain, you know, why it is that no one ever votes for them, or you know, liberal intellectuals trying to who think they're on the side of the people, trying to explain why the people don't go with them. You, if you lose your bearings a bit, if you lose your intellectual rigour, you can very easily start following conspiracy theories. Oh, it's all the Murdoch press, you know. All the well, it's comforting to think that the world's controlled by forces that you cannot control because it somehow makes your life very more understandable. Yes. Yeah. The fact the world's a mess is a, <laughs> is a, is a far, harder, far harder one to, to get your mind mm. around. Do you think there's also, I, mean, I find when occasionally I decide to read these things, God knows why, you always find that the argument comes up it's ridiculous that some guy in a cave in Afghanistan, it's, it's a very thinly veiled racism towards. Arabs or people from the Middle East and then Southeast Asia in general, uh -huh. somehow they couldn't do it because really they're only Arabs. Yeah, but the, but the, the only people who are pra yeah. actually capable of doing this are the mighty American government, the overseeing. Right. But this is it's, 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 it's also a way of denying Islamism. I mean, it's Adam Curtis, BBC Films, the absolute classic on this. They're not seeing this as a movement that has its first success with the Iranian Revolution. Yeah, an epoch-making revolution which has sent out massive reverberations and is still, still doing so today um, and seeing global movements not all, not one united global movement but the, the Brotherhood, Jamaati, Islami yeah, th there's Islamist violence going on everywhere from the Philippines to Canada you know, it's yeah. <laughs> they, what do you mean they can't do that? You know, they've, got, they've got an ideology they've got a lot of money coming out of Saudi Arabia they've got bases do quite a bit, you know. Mm. But most of all, they're going to do it to their fellow Muslims who ought to be able to turn to Europe, the home of democracy and liberalism and feminism and socialism, and ask for people who call themselves left-wing for their support. That's the most shameful thing that's going on. Yeah. You know, it's, this is a book about betrayal and refusal to commit. It's mm. not a book particularly... The Iraq War gets me going on that. It's not a book about what's happening in Iraq. It's a book about what has happened to rich people and why can't they commit to people who, who, who share their values? Again, the conspiracy theory is a bit of a help there, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Um, you dedicated the book to, I mean, we said before that um, socialism as a project, at least in Europe, is dead, and you dedicated the book to um, Hadi Saleh, and you described the last of the socialists. Do you really think that there is no redeeming element that will happen socialism and well, if not what do we do instead well, no, no, I mean th th this is a book that essentially those are chapters on the 30s is a narrative that runs right. from 1968 through to the present in, 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 in the by the 90s it is quite clear even to people like me who don't want to do that socialism has gone 
Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not Mystic Meg. I can't see the future. Um, I think, uh, I, I certainly hope that sensible, practical uh, left-wing policies um, uh, start to revive. Um, I think uh, climate change mm. will necessitate an awful lot of cooperative and altruistic uh, policies. And, but as with climate change, the first task is to clear away the denial. The other great crisis of our time is radical Islam. And what I'm trying to do is just clear away the denial on that, and so yeah. people can see clearly. I'm just trying to shake people up a bit mm -hmm. and get to see the world a bit more clearly. And then, actually, if you do that, if you stop making excuses for the far right, you might start to get a better left as well. Mm -hmm. I think we'll have to um, we'll have to leave it there. We're quickly running out of time. So um, we've been talking about Nick's book, What's Left: How the Liberals Lost Their Way, and this is published by Forty State, and it's a absolutely rollicking read. So you should definitely get hold of one. Nick, thanks very much for coming into Little Atoms again. Thank you for having me. Um, we'll be back in, well, Padre and Richard will be back in two weeks' time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.